Hey everybody, a quick note. I know I ended last week with the promise of the story of some of the rebellious leaders from the American Revolution. However, I just could not resist the temptation to do a special Halloween-based episode. So this week, I am deviating just a bit and we'll get back on track next week. Also, I wanted to let everyone know there will be a special bonus episode dropping on Tuesday, November 3rd. I hope you enjoy it. Now, on to this week's episode. Welcome to Civics and Coffee. My name is Alicia, and I am a self-professed history nerd. Each week, I'm going to chat about a topic on U.S. history and give you both the highlights and occasionally break down some of the complexities in history and share stories you may not remember learning in high school, all in the time it takes to enjoy a cup of coffee. Welcome back, everybody. And if you're listening to this on release day, then happy Halloween. You guys have no idea how much I utterly love this holiday. And yes, it's a holiday. Do not fight me on this. The spooks, the costumes, the horror movies. I dig just about everything that comes with this day. So this week, I thought I'd deviate a little bit from the linear history I've been publishing and run down some Halloween history. Hope you all enjoy yourselves. Grab that pumpkin spice latte. Come on, tis the season. Halloween as we know it today originates from the Celtic festival of Samhain. The Celts celebrated their new year on November 1st. November marked the end of summer and therefore the end of harvest. Winter was known as a time of death for many, and Celts believed that on the night before the new year, the boundary between the worlds of the living and the dead would become blurred and ghosts would return to earth. Wanting to deter any ghosts from entering the house, people would place bowls of food on their porch to prevent the returned spirits from coming home permanently. Celts also believed the emergence of spirits made it easier for priests to predict the future. This led to large bonfires where individuals would bring crops and animals to burn in sacrifice to the Celtic deities in exchange for a peek into their future. After the Roman Empire conquered Celtic territory, Samhain was rolled into the Roman festival of Feralia, I think is how you say it. Feralia was a public festival celebrating those who had passed away, much like Dia de los Muertos in Mexico. Feralia involved bringing tributes to those who passed away to appease the dead. For a long time, it was also believed that there was this festival in celebration of Pomona, the Roman goddess of fruit and trees. Pomona's symbol is that of an apple, and so many believe the tradition of bobbing for apples came from the celebration in her honor. Alas, it's not entirely known where the idea of bobbing for apples stems from, but there is mention of it as early as the 14th century. Finally, the Catholic Church left its mark on Halloween by interweaving it with All Saints Day, celebrated on November 1st. Wanting to rout out the Celtic celebrations and become the only practice religion, it is believed the Church deliberately placed All Saints Day to replace the Festival of Samhain. The day before All Saints Day became known as All Hallows' Eve, and of course, we now know it as Halloween. So, how did Halloween become Halloween in America? Originally, the holiday was extremely limited in New England. Thanks, Puritans. Most Halloween celebrations occurred in Maryland and the southern colonies, where Puritans weren't as prevalent or in power. 
The first known celebrations of Halloween included play parties, which were public events held to celebrate harvest. It was at these play parties where people would share stories, tell each other's fortunes, dance, and sing. So, basically, in the eyes of the Puritans, these people were a bunch of witches. Such killjoys. In the late 1800s, Halloween moved towards a holiday more about community get-togethers than about ghosts, pranks, and all the gore. By the time the 20th century rolled around, Halloween had been stripped of many of its frightening elements and would lose many of the superstitious and religious overtones. Halloween continued to be mainly relegated to the immigrant communities until the first decade of the 20th century. In Cajun-influenced areas, a nighttime mass was held at the cemetery on Halloween night. Blessed candles were placed on the graves, and families would sometimes spend the entire night at the gravesite. The most infamous of Halloween decor, the jack-o'-lantern, was carried to frighten away evil spirits. Believe it or not, the original jack-o'-lanterns were carved into turnips. I don't even know how that's possible. Pumpkins were not used until the immigrant arrival in America since pumpkins were native to the area. Around the 1920s and 30s, Halloween became a more widespread secular activity. The community focused on Halloween parades and festivals as local entertainment. It wasn't until the 50s that Halloween became more focused on children than the community as a whole. And I, for one, am not a fan of that move. In following European traditions, trick-or-treating originally included individuals dressing in costumes and going house to house asking for food and money. There was also a practice in England where the poor would beg for food in exchange for prayers for those who were charitable. This turned into the practice of providing soul cakes to the poor in exchange for their promise to pray for the families. This, of course, eventually turned into kids asking for a treat in order to avoid having a trick played on the homeowner. One of the earliest treats given to children was the candy apple. However, this was discontinued when there were media reports that people were placing razor blades and pins in the apples. Ouch. There is also a legitimate fear of individuals poisoning the candy given out on Halloween night. This can be attributed to the Candyman murder in 1974. It was on Halloween night in 1974 that eight-year-old Timothy O'Brien was excitedly trick-or-treating with his younger sister Elizabeth in Pasadena, Texas. He was joined by two friends and his father, Ronald, on the ultimate quest for candy. Dressed in a Planet of the Apes costume, Timothy bounced from house to house, trying to maximize his candy haul before having to call it a night. It was raining, and so trick-or-treating was kept to a minimum. Arriving at a residence with the lights turned off, Timothy and his friends hurried up the walk, determined to knock on every door during their truncated expedition. No one answered, and so the children hurried off to the next house, while Timothy's father, Ronald, stayed behind. Upon catching up to his children, Ronald shared the good news— the darkened house did have candy, large tubes of pixie sticks, one for each of the group of trick-or-treaters. On returning home, Timothy, like most kids, asked his father if he could eat some of his haul. His father acquiesced, and Timothy selected the pixie stick. Timothy complained the stick's powder was bitter. His father fixed him a glass of Kool-Aid to help wash it down and sent him off to bed. Within an hour, Timothy would be complaining of stomach pains and vomiting violently and going into convulsions. Timothy would die en route to the hospital. The autopsy performed would confirm Timothy was poisoned. The pixie stick contained cyanide powder, enough to kill two grown adults. This, of course, created a media frenzy. Who would be cold enough to ruin a child's holiday? Parents were warned to check the candy of their children. Police in Pasadena asked for everyone to turn in their candy hall for testing and confiscated the other pixie sticks from Timothy's friends. 
Knowing the source was the pixie stick, police immediately went in search of the individuals responsible. Taking Ronald O'Brien on patrol, the police were perplexed by the fact that Ronald just could not remember which house he procured the poison treats from. Investigators then discovered Ronald had taken life insurance policies out on his children and was battling many financial issues. Police uncovered a stack of bills and a tally of the debt, conveniently in the amount that Ronald would receive in life insurance payments. Ronald was arrested on November 5, 1974, for the murder of his own son. He would pledge innocence until his execution on March 31, 1984. Ronald O'Brien would come to be known as the Candyman for his part in the murder. His case helped spawn many an urban legend about poison candy on Halloween. However, doctored candy is not a common occurrence, so all you parents out there can breathe a nice sigh of relief. Moving from treats to how children convince us to give them truckloads of sugar, the costume. Where did the idea of a costume come from? Well, back when it was believed ghosts would return to Earth, the living decided they should disguise themselves so the dead did not recognize them. This sometimes included people wearing the skin and face of dead animals. And that's just a whole different level. One of my favorite parts of Halloween is the haunted house. These sprang up in America around the 30s, amid the Great Depression, as a way to distract children from the pranks and vandalism typical for the holiday. While initially pretty basic and primitive, haunted houses would grow in popularity. Even Disneyland included one of them in their parks, with the ride, The Haunted Mansion, opening on August 12, 1969. Disneyland's success spawned copycats throughout the country, and haunted attractions would become synonymous with Halloween. Lastly, my most favorite thing about Halloween and Halloween season, the horror movie. When did these start? While gothic novels have been around for decades, hello, Mary Shelley's Frankenstein, film brought the terror to a whole new level. The first horror movie was a whopping two and a half minutes long and was called The Haunted Castle. It was released in 1896 and was a silent film directed by a Frenchman by the name of Georges Millet. The film depicts run-ins with the devil and other phantoms and was not really meant to terrify the audience. However, due to its inclusion of the devil, it has largely been identified as the first theatrical horror release. The horror genre has exploded since the turn of the 20th century. The earliest horror movies were mainly based on novels, such as The Strange Case of Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde and Dracula. But the idea that a movie was considered quote-unquote horror didn't really come until Universal Pictures started releasing their monster movies in the 30s. Since then, the horror genre has evolved into many a subgenre. The idea of the slasher movie began in 1960 with Alfred Hitchcock's Psycho, although I think it became popular with the success of the classic John Carpenter film Halloween in 1978. After all, Halloween would go on to inspire films like Friday the 13th, Nightmare on Elm Street, and Black Christmas. Some of these horror movies add an extra layer of gruesome by claiming their stories are based on actual events. The most infamous flick to pull this marketing ploy is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, very loosely based on the crimes of Ed Gein. So, however you decide to celebrate or not celebrate the Halloween holiday, I hope you enjoy yourself. And remember, while it is commonly celebrated as a children's holiday these days, there is nothing in the rules that says us adults can't have our fun. And I know it's going to be a little bit different in the times of COVID, but hopefully you guys all find a way to enjoy yourselves on this very awesome holiday. Enjoy, guys. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of Civics and Coffee. If you want to hear more small snippets from American history, 
be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for joining me, and I look forward to our next cup of coffee together. Thank you.